All right, thank you everybody for showing up. I hope that this will help to perk you up if you are experiencing some post-lunch doldrums. Uh, we have a very exciting panel about connected devices, uh, wireless connected devices, which uh, might sound a little bit dry at the outset, but this is really driving what is important to consumers, what's important to lovers of music, and um, one of the things we're going to talk about today, one of the biggest things we're going to talk about is why isn't it, it easier to play wireless music, digital music, around your home? Why isn't that easier than just putting a vinyl record on a record player and just putting the needle down and letting it go? Um, and I don't think that we are going to have mass consumer adoption of these kinds of devices until it's that simple. So with us to talk about how it's going to become that simple, we have representatives of Sonos, Qualcomm, Boombotics, which is an awesome name, and TuneIn, which helps people get their music and their content onto all these kinds of devices. Guys, will you introduce yourselves? Yeah, my name's Leif Store, and I'm the CEO of Boombotics. We initially started off just as a hardware company with the goal to make a really high-performance portable speaker designed for the active lifestyle. You can see the guy here. Um, as we came into market, we realized that entirely n new way that people were using our products. So we started uh, developing uh, our software, uh, specifically mobile software, to help our users network their BoomBot speakers. And uh, we realized there's a lot of applications outside of that. So um, you know, now our focus is on mobile, uh, mobile audio, wireless mobile audio specifically. Hi, I'm uh, Dan Cohen, the head of product management for Sonos. Uh, Sonos is uh, hi-fi for Wi-Fi, and our goal is to fill every room in your home with music. Hi, I'm Gary Brotman. I'm with Qualcomm at Theros. I run product marketing for a media or a, a connected home media platform called Skifta. If you're not familiar with Qualcomm, Qualcomm has a uh, pretty deep foothold in cellular phones, specifically Android mobile phones and tablets, and the Qualcomm at Theros group uh, has technology in just about every device category in the connected home, whether it's a router, NAS drive, a television, or stereo. Hi, I'm John Donham. I'm the CEO of TuneIn, and we bring millions of pieces of content to all these devices so that they don't suck. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good way of putting it. They'd kind of just be sad little empty boxes if it weren't for the content. So back to the original question of why is it easier to play a 50-year-old vinyl record than it is to, say, set up a home media system these days. Uh, I think a lot of it comes down to interoperability. That's a big word, and all it means is that these guys are sometimes very bad at playing together. Um, nobody from Apple is sitting at the table, but I think we were talking about AirPlay as an example of where interoperability maybe starts to fall apart if you have devices that are outside the Mac ecosystem. Do you want to kick this off? Sure. Okay, go for it. How many people are familiar with AirPlay? How many people are familiar with DLNA? Oh, wow. Okay. They're smart here. Yes, they are. Um, I guess to kick it off, and I am a vinyl nut, I'm a retired club and rave DJ, so I still have a Techniques 1200, and I can relate to the simplicity. Um, uh, as technology has evolved and people are getting their hands on technology or devices that can do more than just play an analog piece of media, whether it's digital content that they have stored on their computer that they then play on a play on a system like Sonos, or accessing TuneIn Radio from the cloud and doing the same thing on a Sonos or other device, 
Um, there's certainly barriers, and most people in this room probably have a Wi-Fi network or they work over a Wi-Fi network, which is a nice pipe, but really what's the key to getting the devices talking to each other? And I think Apple has done a very good job of creating a closed ecosystem with AirPlay, but as anybody knows with a closed ecosystem, there's either a cost when it comes to having to buy that equipment, or as a manufacturer, there's a cost to actually producing that equipment. So you don't really see AirPlay being prevalent outside of folks that really understand or buy into Mac the Mac world. Well, for example, does Sonos um, use AirPlay technology at all? No, we don't use uh, AirPlay technology at all. I mean, you have to remember that uh, we've been uh, creating these products since 2004. Uh, so the concept of streaming music or your own MP3 collection has been around for a while for us, uh, even you know before current Wi-Fi standards. So uh, we're kind of there before AirPlay uh, is right now. And we're able to play uh, pretty much all the content that AirPlay can. Well, what's the main reason, though, that you guys aren't getting into AirPlay, into that very, like, seamless, smooth uh, paradigm? Well, I mean, it depends what you think is a seamless, smooth paradigm. I mean, I think yeah. that uh, we um, make it really easy for you to stream not only your music collection, but virtually all the streaming music on Earth with all the music services out there. So they all exist on our platform. So in terms of interoperability, I mean, we're interoperable with most of the content that's out there. But not iTunes. Uh, actually, we can play your iTunes library just fine, absolutely. Okay, yep. but not from iTunes. Yep. From right, not from yeah. iTunes, that's okay. correct. Okay, anybody else have anything yeah, to I mean, say um, about that? Yeah, I, I guess our focus when we looked at doing mobile audio is how seemingly cost prohibitive it, it is to invest in some of the bigger systems and some of, uh, I mean, the Sonos quality is definitely really high end, but then we really asked ourselves, what is the consumer really looking for? And they're just starting to use smartphones now and becoming comfortable with those. Um, so is there enough technology in a smartphone to allow them to invest in just a smaller, more portable, um, more cost-effective device and you know get them the same effect? So um, rather than trying to network our whole house, we just say, you know, clip on a little speaker and take it with you and just make that device as uh, portable as possible. And, you know, I think um, the comment you had about smartphones, that people are just getting into smartphones, for us in San Francisco and for us in technology, it is hard to remember that the rest of the world and the rest of the country isn't quite like us. And, you know, not everybody is checking their iPhone on the bus. And we still need to, like, make the user experience easy for people who are not completely fluent in technology. And I think that's something that Sonos has done to an extent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously, again, uh, you know, since we've been around for so long, I mean, you know, our system predates smartphones uh, to a large extent. And uh, so, you know, original uh, controllers were actually hardware-based controllers. We actually still have them. But we also have uh, PC and Mac controllers, so we've had those for a while as well. Um, you know, as far as the, the wireless device streaming goes, I mean, one of the challenges I, I have found in, in trying, uh, um, you know, other systems is if you're streaming from your wireless device uh, and you walk out of the house, the music stops for everybody else in the house. So that's interesting. So, you know, from a Sonos perspective, we use a smartphone to actually control your home system, uh, but the connection is, is through the web rather right. than your actual streaming through a smartphone. I think that, that works for the uh, home media use case, but the portable media use case, that's a whole other animal. And actually, I use something a lot like that. I ride my bicycle around, and I'm that annoying hipster who plays music from a basket on her bike and irritates everyone in the park. 
But um, no, I think that a lot of people really are looking at you know this very small, compact, and most of all, dead simple way to not not set something up, not tinker with it for an hour, but just get it going. Are you yeah. doing that in your uh, on your bike via your record player? Or is that vinyl I've for you? I thought about <laughs> it, but it would require a generator, and my bike's already 50 pounds. Yeah, so yeah. Like you <laughs> talk about how easy a, a, a radio, I, I'm sorry, about how easy a, a turntable yeah, is, is to use. it is not portable. And yet it, it, it's not that easy to use. You have to have it on a flat surface. You have to have power for it. You have to mm -hmm. plug it into something to listen to. Um, so it's, it's, it's not a simple experience. At TuneIn, we've done the integration across 150 different devices that you could potentially listen to, and we can tell you from a consumer perspective, the ones that get the most amount of listening are the ones that make it a fr frictionless listening experience, the to just lean back and listen to whatever you want. The devices or the, the content providers? The devices themselves okay. as well. Now, which yeah. devices would you say are in your like your top five in popularity? Yeah, well, we don't we don't release which uh, devices are the most popular, just like many of these uh, pr providers won't yeah. tell you which of the content is the most popular. Right. But I will say we have a lot of respect for the F Sonos guys. We have a Sonos system in our um, in our own uh, office. Okay. And full Yesterday, disclosure, I have a Sonos. I'll give you the twenty dollars after this. Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yesterday we ha we had our. Uh, first customer come by the office with her tape player that she was uh, using on oh, with on, in her bike on her speaker hipster yeah and you know there's a surprising amount of those out there mm -hmm. that's insane <laughs> was she using it with that kind of speaker well she ended or up uh, investing in a boombot to play her her okay. tape and uh, <laughs> yeah these uh, are um, we will disclose some data that's internal to us and you know, now about 60% of our sales have been the Bluetooth model. And uh, so certainly we're seeing like an increasing adoption. Uh, what is in the that other model that's not a Bluetooth model? We just USB? have a, a wired one that's okay. really dumb. On, off, we added volume control to it recently. Okay. Um, it's, but we still see that as being like the entry level and people... Uh, that are just buying their first digital media player, um, they don't want to dabble with, with even Bluetooth. So we know there's always going to be a market for very uh, simple-to-use products that are also extremely cheap. Now, do you think that the Sonos system, uh, do you use, have you ever used or played with or set up a Sonos? Uh, I'm very familiar with okay. it. Yeah. Do you think that they are approaching that level of simplicity? Do you think like someone's mom, like my mom, do you think my mom could set up a Sonos system I, I think uh, not knowing my mom most yes. consumers like really do not like instruction manuals very very much so uh, they can if they really want to I think my mom would be uh, more turned off by investing in a, in a really or a more expensive device but uh, you know it's hard to say like how many of us are like true audiophiles and you know, that's one of the features we integrated into our Bluetooth product was the ability to tether to other, you know, other devices. So for the true audiophile, they can still use their home stereo, um, you know, but Sonos is definitely paving, you know, paving the way for using mm -hmm. Wi-Fi, you know, being an audiophile about it. And that's important, you know, uh, the... Uh, if, if we can make that technology cost-effective and really easy to use, then, of course, you'll get the mass market adoption. Oh, good. Okay, thanks. So I think that, um, you know, from uh, – uh, what you brought up something earlier, Julie, which is mm -hmm. use case, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the use case of being on a bike 
uh, in the mission uh, is different than filling a home no with music. No one said anything right? about the mission. Man. Okay, I, I know. I've seen you. I've seen you on the bike lane in uh, Valencia. I've never been in the mission. I hate You're it. You're on the Valencia bike lane. I know. The mission it. is so over. Okay. <laughs> Was it Bernal? <laughs> So, ahead, so over. Okay. So, <laughs> so there is different. You know, there are different use cases, right? Um, you know, obviously, if you're mobile, moving around, it's a different thing. When you're at home, I mean, there's walls, there's interference with other, uh, you know, RF devices uh, in your neighborhood. Uh, it is just a different use case, and it actually is a lot more challenging to get a multi-room system synchronized uh, in, in a home environment. So. Uh, no, I think it's perfectly fair that you know on the go, um, you know that uh, the type of experience that Boombox provides is is actually uh, correct. You know, in terms of ease of use, I mean, I think that you know we've always tried to focus on that since the beginning. Uh, one of the challenges we have found that customers have with you know wireless home audio devices is actually configuring Wi-Fi on a device, um, mm -hmm. you know, which is you know entering a password and a key and. And you made you know, this whole magic thing to like completely bypass that. Well, not to bypass it. I mean, I think what we found well, when from we first... the consumer's end, it just happens, right? Well, exactly. I mean, you know, basically, you can just connect with a couple of buttons when you buy, you know, our system. I mean, literally, you, you do push two buttons and, and the system starts working. Uh, so, uh, I mean, to be very clear, I think the reason why we, we did something uh, separate from Wi-Fi is just Wi-Fi wasn't cutting it for, you know, home audio in a multi-room situation, and it was just mm -hmm. too hard to configure for most people. And... Uh, we knew that in 2004, and I think it hasn't changed in the last eight years. So let's talk about this connectivity thing, because we're talking about Bluetooth, we're talking about DLNA, and one thing we haven't talked about yet, but I'd like to, is NFC. Um, and then the issue comes up of, okay, at what point is your connection good enough for a true audiophile? Yeah, I, I guess in earlier we just discussed, uh, you know, there's always the... Uh, from the consumer standpoint, the difficulty with connecting to a Bluetooth device, it requires, uh, I believe, six button presses to get done, and there is a little lag time before two devices can negotiate the, uh, the pairing. So You kind of have to know what you're doing and how to do it. It requires a certain amount of technological literacy. I think it's unfair to expect normal people to know how to do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it will definitely take some t some tinkering to do, and uh, as we're excited for NFC, it's uh, looking like something that is going to become imminent on a lot of uh, mobile devices, and um, for us, the idea of being able to pair to your media device by simply tapping it, that's, that's the direction we want to take, um, but, you know, we have to be patient and make sure we don't jump on that technology prematurely before, you know, before it's cost-effective. Uh, for people to adopt so um, but that's definitely the direction we're going to move in simplifying the pairing process and I think Sonos can probably do similar things with that I don't know if you want to bang your laptop on your Sonos speaker but <laughs> tapping is, is probably okay <laughs> no, I, I think the laptop would have a challenge with that so well, I know you guys are doing really interesting things with mobile technology connecting to other devices and making music work throughout the house and on any other connected device. Yeah, I mean, I guess the key is, you know, I, and I, I just one thing about the Sonos system and how, how simple that is relative to, if your mom is gonna set up a Wi-Fi network or any internet network at all, then she can do the Sonos thing in her sleep. So I think there's the idea that somebody normal or abnormal is gonna have a challenge with this is, uh, it, it's not as bad as I think we're making it out to be here. Um, but the way that we take a look at it is it's really, 
about ubiquity and ubiquitous access to content, irrespective of where that content resides. Me as a consumer, I really don't want to have to know that I have Steely Dan on my phone and I've got, you know, some, um, you know, what's the, the Dead Mouse playlist on Pandora or I've got my photos stored on my NAS drive at home. I really don't give a shit. I just want to know that if I press a button, I can access all that content irrespective of where I am and be able to stream that to any device. It doesn't matter whether it's a Sony TV or it's a, a PlayStation or a or uh, Ankyo Stereo, all that should work for me as a consumer. Today it doesn't, and it, well, I shouldn't say it doesn't completely, but with something like what we're trying to build, which is leveraging DLNA as a protocol, or UPnP, if anybody's familiar, the idea of being able to just stream content from your phone or use your phone as that controller to stream to a Sonos device or stream to another stereo or a picture frame in the home for that matter, and not just in your own home, but anybody's home that you go visit. So you don't have to carry your stereo with you or your television with you. You just go over to their house and you access all your stuff from home or the cloud and stream it directly to their devices. Now, it's, it's still got a ways to go, but there's half a billion DLNA devices in the marketplace today. So they're there. Every television you buy today that's 36 inches or greater has DLNA built in. So you can do that now. And with a, with a DLNA application on your phone, whether it's built in or something like Skifta, send your pictures, send your, I mean, anything you have available to you. Um, but I, I think the simplicity of it is definitely a challenge. I think right now, I think if you had a choice between investing thousands of dollars in an AirPlay system or buying the stereo that you want, the TV that you want, the phone that you want, and be, maybe be able to put up with some of those little hiccups now, things are going to be much better in the next 12 to 18 months from an interoperability standpoint. Um, I prefer to have choice and not necessarily be locked into a closed ecosystem. But everybody has their own pain points. Right on. Well, I, I appreciate your utopian view of uh, what things are going to look like. And I really it's do the hope, abnormal I view. hope it gets there. Yes, thank you. I hope it gets to be that easy. One of the things that makes it a little less easy is the fact that all these different device manufacturers have different <coughs> excuse me, technological standards, and there's really no standardization. And I think, John, you can speak to that better than anybody because you're the one who has to make the technology that works with all these different 150 different devices. Yeah, so TuneIn has done this um, literally that many times. And in order to get there, we've had to do uh, custom integrations with every single one of those. And if you're a content provider, what are the odds that you have the time or the energy to go and do custom integrations with all of these hundreds of different devices? And that's really the solution that we're trying to provide for is um, people want the most number of options for the content that they can reach. Uh, we don't see um, a standardization coming along in terms of everyone getting together and say, let's just have one open platform that we can all code yeah, to. Yeah, that's another kind of utopia. Um, and, and while that would be wonderful, I think um, instead... Well, put you out of business. Uh, no, those are, you're talking about two separate things. No, not at all. Okay. Um, in, for what we're looking to provide is help you find the content that you're looking for. It's like saying if everyone bought an Apple, would you no longer need Google? No, you still need Google because you've got to find the content that you're looking for. And that's what TuneIn provides is the integration with the individual systems as well as helping you find content that you find compelling. So I, I, I want to yeah. yeah. try to make sure everybody understands what we're talking about when it comes to interoperability. So you have a pipe. Right? Okay, this, some of this may seem really rudimentary, but you have Bluetooth or Wi-Fi as a pipe for sending stuff. Then you have the language that those devices 
have built into them that either speak or interpret. So AirPlay is a communication protocol between devices. DLNA is also a communication protocol. There aren't really anything else out there on the market, mm -hmm. except for some proprietary thing that maybe Lenovo or LG is doing to try to create their own little own little ecosystem. But the interoperability standards, I mean, AirPlay works great because they control every end-to-end -end piece. DLNA is a consortium of a bunch of consumer electronics and technology companies that get something 80 yards down the field, to use a football term, and then anybody that implements it and wants to create their own little end-to-end -end shit working, you need another 20 yards of secret sauce to really bring it to make it work all the time. So I think what I the, think oh, the, interoper the interoperability thing though, I think we're always going to end up having a challenge whether it's going to be cost or it's going to be technology. Ultimately it has to be the right user experience. DLNA is certainly not there, but when manufacturers are adding their extra layer on top, they're f they're solving that problem. What he's doing, he's he's got an API that's open to anyone. It has nothing to do with interoperability at all. It has to do whether they can speak his language and integrate it into their hardware. And then the interoperability language in between the devices is what brings it to life. I mean, I think that we're talking about two kinds of interoperability, right? We're talking about hardware interoperability in terms of connecting everything into a single system. But I think one of the challenges we have is content interoperability and more specifically app interoperability. Um, well, from the consumer side, there shouldn't be that much of a difference between hardware and software. They don't need to or want to think about that. Well, that's why. I mean, for example, if you use yeah. Spotify and you use Pandora and you have your own collection uh, and you use TuneIn Radio, I mean, potentially you have four different interfaces to listen to music. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the bigger problems uh, that we have. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So, you know, our uh, average listener has multiple ways that they listen to music. So it is very difficult for them to you know, control or listen to their music from, you know, four different apps. So, you know, we think that one of the big purposes of our controller is, is out of the box, you can integrate all these services in one place. Um, in terms of standards and but interoperability. it's the same interface, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. It's one interface for, for all the above. And, and the way I think we're trying to address the interoperability issue is, uh, it's true, John mentions, you know, custom integrations, and that used to be more of the case with Sonos. We now have a Sonos Labs API. So basically anybody with any kind of streaming content can easily write a connection to Sonos, and you know that's a standard for us anyway. Yeah, I, I just don't know if you can ever have uh, all of the uh, media sources into one streamlined interfaces because it's really like what uh, they're all driven by totally different things. Pandora is driven by uh, content that you like. Spotify is driven by a, a social element to it, and you can't have one interface that really addresses all those different things you know you they're all custom and they're all interesting for their their unique ways i disagree i think you can have a you can have a single interface the the, the key is to not lose the not lose sight of the brand that's being represented in that interface because some people have an attachment to pandora some people have an attachment to you know, their own music collection. And if they have one UI where they can access everything, then you've done your job. You've created a very easy approach to content access, right? But I don't, I don't want to, we're, we're certainly not masking any of each of those different sources. The, it's the problem is you're talking about different use cases. If you think about everything that we've talked about so far, all of it's around music. However, people listen to a lot of things. How many people listen to play-by-play -play sports on the radio? Okay, do you want the same interface for that as you want for Spotify? No, it doesn't make any sense. It's like getting into your car and saying, I want the interface for my CD player and my radio to be the same thing. 
Well, that doesn't make any sense either. I don't think standardizing on a similar interface in a digital age suddenly makes sense because we're all using the same device. Mm -hmm. There are separate use cases, and we optimize towards those use cases. Yeah, I guess, but I guess my point is, though, is that each of those services that you just referenced can be accessed in one place, right? Yeah, and you can access your CD player and your tape player and your radio in your car. I mean, iTunes right. lets you access radio, right? I mean, a lot of the apps let you access yep. radio stations, search for them by content, and then start playing them. Okay. <laughs> there you have it. All right, so uh, let's see talked a little bit before and I hope you guys by the way are all coming up with really excellent infuriating questions you're going to ask these guys I'm working them up to a fever pitch so that they scream by oh, the we're time already we frothy. oh I know it's thrilling seething <laughs> so we were talking a little bit about smartphones um, and I'd like to get into that a little bit more because it's um, in parts of the world it's it's the only computer you might have and for some people you know it's the computer they carry around with them every day they're becoming more and more ubiquitous and very important as media players as well. So what do you guys think of you know the ultimate wireless music playing device, the smartphone, and where is it going and how do you see it evolving uh, within the systems you're each creating? I mean I, I, I still go with the use case argument that you know the smartphone is largely a personal one-on-one -on -one, uh, kind of listening experience. I mean, that's why there's a lot of headphones uh, for smartphone devices. Uh, you know, typically on their own, obviously they don't amplify very well for, for well, a room. there's audio docs Oh, of too. course, there's audio docs and, and Boombotics, for example. There's, there's plenty of, uh, a little plug for my friend over here. Uh, and, um, you know, that's, that, that's important. Um, you know, from our perspective, again, we focus on the home because we think that's more of a social listening experience, like listen out loud, like everybody in a room together. Uh, and we just think that's a different use case that a smartphone isn't particularly optimized for. So we think coexisting with that is, is really the way to do it. And of course, switching from, you know, personal listening to controlling a device like that is, is our current view of the world anyway. Well, that's really the problem we're looking to change with uh, smartphone use is so that when you use your smartphone, it's no longer a, a personal thing. Um, we wanted people to be able to play music on their smartphone and be able to link up with someone in the same room on their smartphone or even watching the same video playback at the same time uh, over their phone. And I always do these trips out to Asia once in a while and I always see, you know, the way people interact over there. They were the first people to start putting their phones on the dinner table. Now everyone does that over here. Um, last time... Not in my house. <laughs> uh, the last time I was over there, then I'd go to a cafe and I'd see four girls uh, sitting there, all of them looking at their phones, and they're texting and talking and sharing media with one another. So I think what we'd like to see and what we're trying to build right now are ways that we can tie smartphone and actually make it a more social thing just uh, like what he's describing you know his at-home use case is is social where you want a full stereo at home but we see more people going are that are out and about hipsters at Dolores Park playing their music together and uh, we want to tie their devices together so they can enjoy music together whether it's played over speakers or whether it's on headphones mm. Now, Skifta is like all about the smartphone experience, but mostly as a controller, right? Or entirely? It's a combination of the. Uh, it's okay. a combination of them. Uh, I think we started off as an Android application that did what I mentioned earlier about access to everything and then stream to anything for the most part. 
Um, but we're moving more into devices in the connected home. But the cell phone or the smartphone, we still view as the kind of the centerpiece for the connected home. Um, Nielsen put out a study back in December that surveyed tablet and smartphone users and what they were doing with those smartphones and tablets in the home. And 40% of the respondents actually have that device sitting with them when they're watching television or sitting in their living room. The one thing that they're not doing, though, is they're not using that to control the devices in their home. So they may, they may be tweeting, they may be you know, checking email, going to Facebook, they may be looking up information about what they've just seen on TV or some sort of a augmented content experience that's part of the show that they're watching. But the one thing that they're not doing is actually using that thing for music consumption or control. It's the companion piece, but they haven't gotten to the point where that device really is as essential as the remote control that they have for the TV or the stereo. And that's where we see it going. In fact, the smartphone used to be the thing you set down with the keys at the end of the day or you plug it into the wall to charge. Now it's, it's really a life controller more than anything else. It's part of you. You've personalized it. You have your own content on it. And the, as time goes by, and I shouldn't say as time goes by, it's actually starting to happen now, the idea of controlling your stereo, your TV, and next it's your washer dryer and it's your coffee maker, it's got far more utility beyond just music or entertainment playback. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I'm pretty bullish on the fact that that is it's going to become a body part at some point. Ah, wetware. Uh, it's not my place. That's, that's not my place to say. I mean, one thing about the smartphone use case, and again, I think you're absolutely right. That's the primary uh, device for a lot of people in the world. Is one thing we think about and think there's going to be a lot of developments in is home theater, for example, where you may have music and you may have other kinds of sound too. Um, most likely, that's going to come over a broadband connection in your home. Uh, or come in through you know set-top box or something like that, and you know that becomes a slightly different use case for for audio than than a smartphone. So those are the kinds of things we think about in in optimizing for the for the home environment. And I do think there's overlap, for example, with the Boombotics use case, where certainly you could take a smartphone and set that up in your in your room and you know have a have a party with it or or whatever you want to do. Uh, we look at things like what happens if you want to listen to music in one room and music in a different room and pair and unpair and and other things like that, and, and the evolve, uh, evolution of, of uh, digital audio for other things than music, and the convergence of those things. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Gary, you're so Gary's over there wearing the iPod Nano watch too. Do you actually see the uh, wrist? Uh, and I'm wearing one too. I, I like having the the technology on the wrist. But do you see the wrist real estate as being somewhere where ultimately this device could move? towards completely or do you think it's just it's something very super inspector gadget isn't it <laughs> uh right now it, it yeah. is but well. it, it's a conversation <laughs> starter and i think yeah. uh i could certainly see a lot more technology going onto your wrist and if i can get to the point where i had all my iphone apps on my wrist like i i would potentially consider that switch completely do I see it happening? Personally, I don't. I, and and from a from a Qualcomm standpoint, I'm not seeing anything like that. I, I mean, I, we do see very specific um, devices for things like biometrics and pulse rate and, glu and glucose level and stuff like that. But when you get to a full fledged computer, which is what the smartphone is, you wind up with a you don't have enough real estate to really manipulate anything. Oh, but computing, like the nature of computer hardware, would suggest that in a couple years we might. I'd say that it's possible, but I don't. Th I think that there's movement to larger for media specifically. There's movement to, lar movement to larger interfaces, not smaller. 
Well, unless you could have projection holographics and all that kind of crazy. <laughs> Who's Utopia? <laughs> Dude, they do, they do this stuff at CES every year. Where have you been? I, I know, I know. Hipsters and you know love what? it. It's like... <laughs> yeah. So, okay, John, let's I've bounce it over to you. I want to ask you. <laughs> I want a, uh, a record player on my wrist. Can I get one of those? I saw I, one. I think the LMFAO video, then they Mini have disc. an iPhone on the wrist mount. This is... <laughs> going into anarchy really fast <laughs> they actually so, make a little vw i don't know if anybody's seen these a little vw battery operated microbus that'll sit on top of a record and actually go around it and play it it's got a little speaker built into the back God. we oh, can connect a close and play to we'll sonos that's the easiest so, in record playing john i did want to ask you though um from your point of view where you're connecting all the dots between all these content providers and all these device manufacturers what part is mobile technology specifically playing into your business? So we certainly see mobile as the center of people's um, uh, digital listening. Uh, mm -hmm. So I would agree with our friend here from Qualcomm um, that it's becoming the digital extension of, of the, the person. And so more and more, you're taking your phone, um, not only is it personalized, but it provides you a 3G or 4G connection to the internet. So you're always connected, you get in, you plug your phone into your car, it your car suddenly recognizes that you're listening in a car, as does your phone. Um, then you get to work and you listen via headphones, and then you go for a jog and you're listening via headphones uh, as you go for a run. Then you get home and you plug your phone in. I mean, this, the phone is becoming the center of our digital life entirely. And so it's going to be more and more about um, providing a, an experience that allows for that device to then seamlessly interoperate with all the other devices in your life. You know, you brought up an interesting point, the car as a connected device. I think that um, Ford and BMW and Chevy are all kind of working on solutions to make it easier for you to take your music from wherever you have it and get it onto your car. But I don't know, are you guys seeing people trying to make that a little so, bit easier? So TuneIn yes. does that today. TuneIn okay. um, is an internet radio solution in a BMW and a Mini, um, mm -hmm. as well as we just announced Ford at CES a couple of weeks ago. And so what happens is you take your phone, you plug it into, say, a Ford, um, and Ford Sync recognizes that TuneIn's there, and TuneIn recognizes that Ford Sync's there, and they yeah. drive the experience together. That's the sort of thing we expect to see get adopted more and more as, as we head forward, not only in, um, in consumer electronics and home audio, but also with the digital dashboard. I think the quality of service of mobile streaming music in general you know, still has a long way to go. Um, you know, speaking of Dolores Park, there's a nice big blackout for AT&T right there. Uh, and all the buffering you, you can do is still not enough to uh, have the music uninterrupted. Same with cars driving around. I mean, if you drive near the Moscone Center during a convention and all the circuits are tied up, you are funked in terms of radio. So uh, I That's said funny fun I because, said funked. because TuneIn so, has yeah. a solution where it uh, uses the FM chip in order to get you local radio. And then if you ever get out of range of FM, you can continue to listen digitally even as you're driving across country. Never lose signal from the station that you were listening to back in San Francisco where you started. That's so I, I, I think that those sorts of solutions are here today. It's just a matter of adopting them. Okay. That's a big deal, adopting them. Um, and finally, I wanted to talk a little bit about, and this is definitely your area of expertise, John, but cloud-based services. Uh, I think without services like you know Pandora, Spotify, Mogardio, all those guys, these guys would have a lot less going on uh, in terms of consumer adoption. And I think in some ways these services have driven excitement around hardware because you know they make it so easy and so much fun to listen to music, but it's not much fun if it only lives on your phone or your computer. 
Would you think that's a maybe semi-correct assessment? Absolutely correct. Okay, thanks. I think we all agree on that I appreciate one. the validation. There's not much uh, contention there. What's the next question? Okay. Well, <laughs> I guess the next question would be, so there's been some friction around, you know, subscription, cloud music, and licensing and all that, and I think Pandora really drove... Uh, you know, that profitable business model. Where do you see these cloud services going next and how are you going to be prepared to integrate and work with them to get to that utopian UX where everything is just beautiful and works together simply? Well, from our standpoint, we are we have a platform that enables any content service to plug, plug in through our SDK. And if there's an open API that we can use, it works Fine. I mean, there's everybody, and 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 Dan knows this. There may be some little idiosyncrasies here, idiosyncrasies here and there, depending on the nature of the content. But for us to succeed, that content's critical. I mean, every CE manufacturer that builds a stereo today is trying to figure out how they can get Pandora and Spotify and TuneIn into their box in a cheap manner, doesn't have a lot of overhead, and extends the value of that device so that they can compete. Literally, so they can compete with Sonos, and they're having a hard time doing it. Um, I, I think it's it's imperative from our standpoint. I guess from yours as well. The aside from the technical underpinnings, there's also how our businesses work together. Uh, whether it's a licensing arrangement because there's proprietary technology in the middle, or me as a device manufacturer or technology manufacturer, how do I help Spotify meet their revenue objectives or their subscriber acquisition objectives? Am I going to help them push advertising or am I going to help them push subscriptions? Uh, that's really the, the area that we spend most of our time thinking about because we want them to succeed and get bigger and they want to, we want them to look at us as a uh, lower cost customer acquisition mechanism, not just a way to make a device really cool and stream a lot of content. Dan, what kinds of concerns are you hearing from the content partners that you guys are working with at Sonos? <clears throat> uh, kinds of concerns. Uh, yeah, I guess that, that there's just so many choices of, of uh, um, you know, content out there. I mean, you know, the number of uh, the streaming, um, you know, radio providers, uh, uh, streaming music providers has, you know, really exploded. I, I, I think, again, I've been a Sonos customer almost since the beginning, and I remember, you know, when Rhapsody got integrated, and now there's, like, dozens of services that have been integrated. So I think if, if there's any concern is, you know, how does one service differentiate from the other? You know, how do they mm -hmm. sort of break through uh, the, the explosion of content that's there? Um, i got to imagine that occurs even within TuneIn. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many streaming radio partners in TuneIn, and, you know, they're each one of those as a content provider. So I think a lot of the confusion is around just the, the, the amount of content. Well, and these oh. services, they come and go. This is like startup land. Some of them are going to be here this year, completely off the map in three years. And some of them are going to be, you know, like, well, Pandora a few years ago didn't exist, and now they are a publicly traded company, unlikely to vanish off the face of the earth without some forewarning. But, you know, I mean, I think, I think streaming content also mirrors, you know, for example, on the radio side, mirrors terrestrial radio. I mean, there's college radio with a 10-watt transmitter, you know, from a college or, you know, carrier current or whatever that has with like With a stream. So in addition to the 10 watts that they're broadcasting within 10 miles, they can also be heard by every on connected tune device right. around exactly. the world, no matter where they are. Uh, yeah. that, on this that, great that service point, called TuneIn. That, that, that was the... <laughs> on uh, these awesome home speakers made by Sonos. Uh, you know what? TuneIn's just the answer to everything I was just going to say, so. <laughs> so there's, one, there's, actually, there's actually one other point here, which I think gets to the, the theme of this conference and always has been, and that's the issue around licensing rights. Mm -hmm. And each of, the man, each of the content providers have a different 
arrangement. Most of them are pretty similar, but there are certain restrictions around things like restreaming, for example. So I'm not able to create a platform, and I'm going to leave the names out of the picture, but there are some content providers on the subscription side that I cannot integrate onto the handset and let somebody take their X subscription with them and stream to any stereo willy-nilly. I have to actually offer it up on a piece of hardware. It has to be locked to that piece of hardware so and can only be streamed to that stereo or from a digital media adapter to a stereo through some sort of authenticated mechanism. So if you talk about user experience, I think all of us are doing our part to make that user experience as good as possible. Mm -hmm. But there still are the issues around music licensing rights that the aggregators have that will at times pre prevent things like ubiquitous access to content everywhere or your subscription everywhere through one access point. Well, but now here's a, a timely, if not relevant to this panel question that you're probably going to be interested in. And it is, um, you know, given what's going on with, you know, SOPA and all that crap. And last night on the Grammys, you know, we were watching it and this guy, uh, the CEO of the recording? Oh, yeah. He, yeah. yeah. Or he was like, yeah, we got to work together. I'm like, well, the tech people came to the table, and we want to be able to make money from music, and we want content creators to make their money from music. Do you think that licensing for these kinds of technologies is going to see any changes, sure. like significant changes over the next two years? I don't know. I've been doing this since 98, so th it's all relative. I, mean, I started marketing Creative Labs, Nomad, MP3 players, and doing Amazon digital downloads promotions when they were doing liquid audio and you couldn't really play them because it was so wrapped up with DRM and licensing constraints. I think eventually it'll get to the point where there's no control. They, they really don't have control. There are going to be so many options in the home and consumers are going to demand that they have more options. Is it going to be quick? I don't think so. But I think there are going to be ways, companies will find creative ways to make those licenses work. Mm -hmm. And... I, I don't know. I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think after 14 years, the amount of progress has been relatively slow. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have a time for Yeah, it. I mean, the point I was trying to make earlier is that I think there's a lot of long-tail content. You talk about a lot of the startups are, are folding or going out of business, but there's yeah. certainly a, a ton of long-tail broadcasters that are not just music, talk, et cetera. Now, obviously, the key to survival of, of content providers, you know, particularly radio, uh, is going to be a function of the licensing, right? And you know, I think that's something that still needs a lot of work. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think there's plenty of content out there. The other point I'll, I'll just to segue a second is is I think that one of the uh, you talk about the challenge of, of content providers. Uh, discovery, I think, is really where a lot of innovation is starting to occur, right, at the content level, which is making recommendations as to what you should listen to. I mean, one of the things we talk about at Sonos is stream all the music on Earth. Uh, that's also a challenge, right, because now how do you sort between all the, uh, or search between all the, the music on Earth? So I'm looking forward to a lot of innovation in that category, uh, you know, as it pertains to getting content on our devices. All righty. So we have 15 minutes to take some questions from all you fine people. Yes, sir. You are the first to raise your hand. Uh, this one's aimed mostly, I think, at John and to a lesser extent, Dan. Some of the, some of the big uh, radio conglomerates uh, are apparently trying to keep their channels off of some of the listing services like TuneIn, I understand. And uh, how do you see this going forward? Like we have Clear Channel with their iHeartRadio platform. They're trying to get other broadcasters that are not part of Clear Channel to come on board with exclusive deals. Do you see this as a um, problem for the industry or something that will sort itself out quickly? At the end of the day, if you're a content provider, what you want is the most number of listeners from the broadest set of platforms. That's what TuneIn provides. Okay. Dan, 
Did that answer your question? I mean, again, you know, Randy, I mean, we, we look at it as, you know, I hate to use the same canned answer as, as John does, but, you know, obviously TuneIn is a big provider for us, and, uh, you know, our goal is to get as much of the content, if not all of it, uh, available to our users, so. Okay. Yes, sir. Hi. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, for some comments uh, around the issue of security as uh, uh, these mobile devices become ubiquitous and everything is networked together, your uh, phone is connected to your uh, uh, computer and, and so on. There's a lot of avenues for hackers and things to get in. I know Sonos just released a security update recently and I just ask for comments on what you guys are doing and thinking about in the area of security. Interesting question. Is there such a thing as Sonos malware? Uh, not to my knowledge, though. Some of the stuff I listen to can be uh, interpreted as <laughs> malware. Okay. So. Well, okay, so then what are the security features for? What do they do? I think, uh, if I understand your question correctly, I think a lot of it would have to do with, like, authentication. And, and I mean, what, what's the specific security? Security or privacy? Right. Uh, well, they're kind of related, I guess. Um, I'm asking a very broad question, so I know it's maybe not so clear. But uh, basically, with everything networked, and uh, as mobile devices become more ubiquitous and also more used for things unrelated to music, for example, you can access your bank account through your phone or through your computer. As the ante gets raised, you know, and m more there's more to be had by by uh, people cracking into your home system, the, there'll be more and more effort and uh, technological effort to crack in through different avenues. And, uh, you know, any, any device is fair game. Any device on the network is fair game for a hacker to uh, come in. I, I can only speak to it from a, it's really more of a privacy specific uh, answer. And that is, if you have a, if you're on a Wi-Fi network and you have a DLNA source or a device, like if your handset or your tablet is DLNA enabled, you're going to need some level of permission setting to allow certain people or prevent certain people from just seeing the content. Um, so we actually put a lot of effort into the privacy settings around or permissions around sharing. Um, there's, a, there's, there's not much that we can do outside of the OS specifically to prevent somebody from hacking into your phone. I mean, ultimately, iOS and Android, those guys are going to create something that's inherent to their platform. Um, but there's just so much that we can do as an application provider to protect that information. And I'm just sitting here thinking from the security side, uh, where would the profit be in hacking into somebody's, you know, wired devices or wireless music playing devices? It suddenly starts playing ads <coughs> for something that... Uh, yeah. Right, just as a just as a just as a, a hole, a gateway into the yeah. phone to get anything you want. Well, there's a thought for all you hackers out there. Hack on some. It's not a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, burn. Uh, Kevin. <laughs> Sorry. So I'm I'm sort of slightly disappointed by the the fact that we still have 16 different ways of doing this. None of them work very well. Um, Ten years ago. I was at Apple when we shipped DAAP, which was the you know the initial iTunes sharing protocol, which made it pretty straightforward to find th things that were nearby, over on the same network and, and play them. Yeah, it got worse since then. Apple made it worse, and uh, you know, after I left, so, but <laughs> 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 but um, 
I still quite like the I'm announcing the list of things that are nearby. I'm discovering the things that are nearby, and everything I've tried since has has actually been worse than that. Bluetooth in particular seems to fight really hard to stop you doing anything, and I, I have never yet got DLNA, DLNA to collect two devices. Um, how did this get worse? I think from uh, our perspective, uh, you know that. The, the need to discover and connect to a device in that manner is something that I don't think will ever succeed in the mainstream, right? Well, that's, I mean, so DRP yeah. was defined the other way around. It said, here's a stock of stuff to play, discover the stuff to play and play it. Are you talking about the content or the devices? So, so the, the original, no, it still, it's still ships. The iTunes sharing protocol where you open up Two machines playing iTunes can play each other's music. What they're doing is publishing, here's what I have. Oh, like library right. sharing. Right. Library sharing stuff. That seems to have gone away, partly because Apple got beat, beat over the head by the labels because they were scared by it. Um, you know, when we shipped it, it was over IP. It was done using um, zero-conf discoverability. Right. Um, it uses DNS. You can, actually, you can actually play it anywhere over anything. Right. And that was the bit that made the labels go, oh, stop well, man, that. But I think, I think the issue there is I think it's becoming less and less of an issue, right, as people don't really listen as much to their MP3 collections as they do to streaming in the cloud, right? right. So, um, you know, and look, you, it's you, you, yeah. believe me, I have a huge collection of MP3s too. I mean, there's always going to be a lot of people with that. But, you know, on, on, on Sonos, there's a huge multiple of people listening to streaming over the people now that listen to MP3. So the, the, the trend is there. So obviously, the more it's in the cloud, the, the less that library discovery becomes an issue. Well, but you could publish, you know, the, the issue is I have music on a bunch of different, as you were saying, if, if we could publish the list of things that I was listening to um, and have, you know, local proximity, local area network discover what the things are, that works. Like, oh, I have stuff on this device, I have stuff on the server, and here's my bookmark list of radio stations I listen to or podcasts I listen to. Can I, you know, can I pull, get those too? That stuff was sort of there, um, and it's, we seem to have lost that way around and it's gone to this sending model of like I have this thing here I want to send it there and I think that paradigm is kind of backwards mm. and it was forced on Apple by you know by the label saying we'll take iTunes store away if you don't do this um, and it might be worth revisiting the publishing my list of stuff I'm listening to in a way that other things can discover you know what I think really spoke to that a lot was Google Music when it launched, you know, it's not just about, okay, it is a cloud-based music service and it has all your freaking MP3s. So you don't have to settle for an experience where you never really know what song's going to play next or you don't own it, you don't have ownership of it, but yeah. you can still have it everywhere and you can share and discover and all that. So I, I want to make a comment to this because I, I think that even though DLNA has its faults, the biggest challenge you ask why it's gotten worse, it's gotten worse because DLNA is more or less open and people implement DLNA or manufacturers tier you know, third-tier manufacturers implement devices what they say DLNA-supported or DLNA-compliant, when in actuality they're not. And I think that's actually caused more problem than the actual standard, which actually has evolved. And if you're DLNA-certified, the chances are it's going to work. There may be some formatting compatibilities, but if it's going to advertise, it's going to advertise. And you're going to be able to see that device, that source or that sync on the network. Well, my phone keeps saying it's finding DLNA devices, but I've never actually got through all the dialogues to make any of them connect. You know, it's just they're going, okay, and it dies. So. Okay. I understand. It's not, it's not as bad as that all the time, though. <laughs> Someday, someday it'll all be yes. perfect. Yes, I'll take my rose tinted glasses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what? Just to touch on the whole proximity thing too, and that, I don't know if there's a way around this with music licensing, but as we started working on our uh, 3G and 4G connectivity and trying to connect our smartphones and share media, obviously music licensees would be completely against the idea of me uploading a song to a server and streaming it to multiple devices. Um, 
we would like to think there's a, a loophole around this where you know by simple gps proximity it understands this is a in-person peer-to-peer sharing experience which is really no different from me playing a, a boom box out loud for all of you to listen to i could do that or you know we can recognize our proximity and we can listen to the same thing over headphones or portable speakers what have you but um you know as everyone's using or a lot of people using smartphones now that might be something that music licensees can consider at least when they're um, setting the parameters for their licensing arrangements mm-hmm. okay other questions i saw your hand yeah, uh, might be slightly off topic here. We've been talking uh, mainly about music consuming. Uh, we see lots more and more apps uh, doing some more music mashup. There's obviously the Bjork Biophilia that's been released on mobiles. Uh, more and more music toys and things. So maybe we'll you know, eventually get up to a point where people really produce music on mobiles. How do you see this as a trend, as a challenge for you Are guys? Are we talking about producing music or mashing it up? Both, I guess. Uh, okay. This, I mean, well, one's cr- a minefield, and the other is like using. A well, you, as could, an you could argue with that, you know, yeah. DJing or. Um, I'm not going to argue. I don't really <laughs> care. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, Do you want to play something? Yeah. Oh, yes. You're synced to this guy. Sure. So, I actually want to. I want to share an ease of use thing after we get through this. I'm actually done Phones with my question. As it was instruments. Like, Anybody have anything on that? So it's a question that if you're a content provider, what's the fastest path to getting to all these devices? I would. It's more. Uh, what? Yeah, what how do you see this as a trend that could be challenging to uh, you guys in the future? I mean, I honestly, I don't see it as a trend that's going to challenge any um, recording artist who's like making music. I mean, is that what you're talking about? Is is no, music I made on phones I going I to? I don't think so. Are you maybe referring to ac- uh, accessing music that's on your device and using it for creating mixes or mashups? And well, no. Well, you could think that if uh, anyone's capable of producing uh, musical sounds interesting enough, then you would have some challenges with synchronizing uh, devices together, so so that multiple people can. They yeah, are, of course, but, but I think it's more of a parlor trick at this point. No, I mean, no Gaslamp Killer, he throws DJs. down pretty hard on his iPad. And yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, th- I think a challenge you may face, to be honest with you, is is format. So if you're creating a you know a raw file on your uh, a ProLogic or something else that is not going to be recognized by a stereo or a television or other rendering Nah, device. TuneIn solves that problem, too. We, t- we, we take <laughs> everything from all format and just play it back. It also cures cancer. So TuneIn for president. That's fine. So, so you do solve that problem, but your, har- you, your hardware, the hardware guys are having to have, they have to have that codec. They have to decode that, right? right. Uh, sure, but we'll, we work with all of the different hardware providers in order to provide the coding for the different uh, codecs that are provided via streams. Right, you pay their licenses for all those codecs? No, we don't pay their licenses, okay. but we help en- en- enable all those devices to reach the maximum number of streams that they can. Right, but ultimately the hardware guys have to embed a decoder for those, for those formats, and they have to pay the licensing fees for them, and not everybody supports every format. So as, as a producer, you have to recognize that just because you made it, you're going to re- you're gonna have to figure out a way to get it into a format that's 
recognized, like MP3, AAC, whatever the case may be, by the, the, the hardware that's out there. One thing that we've seen is this move toward lossless, like FLAC as an example. Uh, when I worked at Topspin before I was here, one of the things that we got comments about was, hey, I've got a FLAC file and it won't play on this stereo. It's because the stereo didn't decode FLAC. Mm -hmm. So that lossless was useless to them unless they were using some sort of equipment on their computer. We have time for just one more question. I'm gonna kick it back to Shannon. Uh, yeah, so just yeah. Uh, one small comment, which was there actually are iPhone apps that help detect skin cancer using the camera. So there are iPhones that can <laughs> solve cancer. But um, on a more serious question, um, I, something I've been wondering about for a long time, and I haven't yet seen any manufacturer do this, is whether anyone's thought of, anyone's started to use wireless protocols to separate the input devices from the battery and radio and possibly storage of a device. So your phone would have a little brick that sits in your pocket that has all the radio and battery and has and have interfaces that might be on your wrist, might be glass you hold, might be your gloves, might be any number of things, might be your headphones, but separation of the interface devices from the, the radios. So it's two devices, not one. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's definitely uh, Bluetooth modules that will allow you to control playback and volume. Um, they're a little more expensive than uh, a, a one-way Bluetooth module, if you will. Um, so yeah, you can turn anything you want into a control interface. It's just a matter of like, does anyone uh, want that? And uh, you see yeah. that in car solutions all the time, right? You have your phone Bluetooth connected to your car stereo, and then you can raise the volume or change the channel or well, lo well, lots of different interfaces that you can access just via your steering wheel. Yeah. Well, what I'm talking about is has anyone radically rethought what the phone is? So like the radio is just a small little brick that fits somewhere, or it's your car and it uses your car for the antenna. I mean, the answer is no. That's a good thought. Okay. Sure well, unfortunately, has. that is Radical. all the time we've got. Thank you guys so much for listening and for participating, and uh, have a great rest of the conference. Bye. Thanks.